This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Taking a trip aboard the Cosmic Staff this week. It's episode 433 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Actually going to be on vacation this entire week. So I didn't want to leave you hanging, though. I had to give you this this great show this week because so many amazing guests are going to be joining me. How about Breck Bassinger from DC Stargirl? That's right. Courtney Whitmore, Stargirl herself, going to be talking to me all about season three before the premiere happens this coming Wednesday, oh, she dropped some big bombshells, or at least big teases anyway, about this upcoming season. Also going to go back and talk about Netflix's Echoes, if you've been streaming that show, or if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, starring Michelle Moynihan. I've got Elise Willis on the show this week. She plays Meg. Oh, I have so much fun talking to her about this amazing show that's on Netflix, this amazing thriller that'll definitely keep you guessing and make you want to binge it once you start watching it. Also got a couple more guests from Five Days at Memorial, the Apple TV Plus series. I've got Adapara Aduye, who plays Karen. And of course, Cornelia Smith Jr., who plays Dr. Bryant King. And that series in coming up in this fifth episode. The fifth episode is really, really intense. And we're heading to the finale, so I'm going to dive in and talk to them about that. Got some reviews this week as well. Going to go back and talk about the House of the Dragon premiere going to do some spoilers there on the show this week as well but let's get things started by heading to blue valley courtney whitmore herself breck bassinger joins me next on the down and nerdy podcast hey this is angelic washington from dc star girl and you're listening to down and nerdy podcast from Nemesis to Neighbors, season three of star girl proves to be very very interesting when it returns to the cw on Wednesday, can't wait to find out what's going to be happening on this new season for a lot of reasons. So, who better to talk about it than Courtney Whitmore, Star Girl herself, Breck Bassinger? Breck, how you doing? I'm doing so good. How are you, James? Oh, I'm doing so fantastic. <laughs> now, Breck, last season was a very dark one at times, actually, especially you know dealing with Eclipso and everything. So, were you kind of looking forward to season three at least starting off on a bit of a lighter note? Yeah, I think something that our showrunner has made special about our show and something I really enjoy about Stargirl is each season totally kind of takes on something new. So first season, he wanted that 80s nostalgic superhero. Like our inspiration was Back to the Future. Then season two, inspiration was like the new It and Nightmare on Elm Street, which is much darker and much scarier. But coming into season three, I am so excited because we are going for like the murder mystery. Our season is called Frenemies, which is alluding to we now have the villains and the superheroes living in harmony, quotation marks around that word, in Blue Valley. I love that the quotation marks were flying around, too. That totally makes a whole lot of sense talking about yeah. this show. 
Well, well, this actually leads me to my next question because it almost seems like it's the Injustice Society rehabilitation tour so far to start off this season. So, how do you feel like that's going to go? And how much, how much do you just kind of love Courtney's optimism that you know they can be rehabilitated and this can just work out? I truly feel like that optimism is one of her most heroic traits. She is somewhat naive, and some people would call it that, but I like to call it just beautiful childlike optimism and I love the dynamic between her and Starman played by Joel McHale who came like who comes back as a season regular in third season because he is part of the original Justice Society who saw very black and white villains and superheroes so then kind of going back and forth and figuring out how they're going to navigate this and maybe their differing opinions on that. It's funny how you just keep leading me in to each one of my questions. Because oh, great. It's like we planned it or something. Yeah. Seriously, it's like there's, there's a connection. I have talking points right here in front of me. Yes, just there's definitely a connection. There's no prompter, I swear. So it doesn't look like Starman's too thrilled about this idea, about yeah. the villains kind of being integrated. We see that in the trailer. So does it feel like there's this may be another setup for more tension within the team? Because we've kind of seen that off and on throughout the first couple of seasons. Absolutely. I mean... You know Yolanda or Wildcat, the, the beef she has with Cindy starting back all the way to season one. And that just carries over with Cindy wanting to be part of the Justice Society. And then with Starman specifically, the last time he was living on this earth, these people, Sportsmaster and Tigers, our new next door neighbors, literally killed his best friends. So of course he's going to come back with vengeance. They, they killed him. So I, I do, I, I understand the butting of heads, but uh, we'll see if Courtney's optimism will prevail. Not exactly the neighbors you want coming to cut the grass or anything no, like that. You know, exactly. I'll go, sorry, I killed you, but here, let me mow your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> but there's good in everyone, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's what we love about Courtney. Now, we also see, though, that Courtney looks like she'll be doing some training with Sylvester as well. Because, you know, I mean, who better to learn from, right, than the guy who had the the, the Cosmic Staff beforehand. So how open would you say she is to learning some new things from him? And could we see some cool new tricks coming up this season? Absolutely. From the very beginning, Starman wants to teach, teach his legacy and keep it going on. You know, she's always looked up to Starman. At one point, she even thought he was her father. So I think getting to meet him, it's almost like, big doe-eyed of just this hero of someone she's looked up to. So I feel like any advice or new tricks he has, she'll accept them with open arms, which was really fun to get to explore. Also from like an actor point of view, I got to do some really cool new stunts, which we'll see in even from the very beginning episodes. Which is going to be very, very neat. I love the fact that you guys have such cool stunts on the show. I will say though, that one thing I thought was interesting, it was going to be interesting going into the season, at least for me, is because I feel like, that Courtney and, 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 and Sylvester really have a clash of like ideals, not necessarily their approach to, you know, taking on the bad guys, but that, but mentally, I feel like their approach to being heroes is a bit different. Would you say that that's true also? And could we see maybe that be a little bit of a, of a back and forth between the two of them? Absolutely. And I feel like it becomes almost a mental battle for Courtney because she does look up to Starman and he was, he's been a superhero for much longer than she has so I think there's that mental battle, like, and the way I think, is it right? Or, or is he right? Also, will the staff work for him? Will the staff work for me? Who does the staff belong to? I think there's a lot of questions these controversies impose, specifically with, with their ideals. No doubt about that. Now, it feels like we've been kind of playing the will they or won't they game with Courtney Cameron almost from the very beginning. So now I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to spoil anything, but there's a moment in the trailer. We see it. It's hard to deny it. So could this finally be happening or is it still just a little bit complicated? Oh my gosh. I, I told Jeff, I'm like, I think this, this is the slowest burning love story in all of CW history, but that's something I, I love that he does with our shows. Even going back to Starman, like there's so many storylines that began in season one and it took three whole seasons to finally start getting those payoffs. Wait, I mean, you see in the trailer too, it looks like he has his father's powers and they're getting strong. And I'm so excited for the actor who, who plays Cameron Hunter Sansone. He was so patient and this season dives so much into his character and his backstory and can be 
Courtney, Cameron, Camney, finally, will we see it? Ooh, I like that one. I like that. We've got an official ship name now. Get the hashtag (laughs) rolling. Come on, it's time to get the hashtag rolling. Talking to Brooke Bassinger, who, of course, plays Courtney Whitmore slash Stargirl on DC Stargirl, which returns to the CW on Wednesday. Now, Breck, one of the characters we haven't seen a whole lot of yet is Mr. Bones. We saw how he was teased in the season two finale. No spoilers, of course, but what kind of a presence does a character like that bring to this season of the show? Yeah, we definitely get some more closure with that character and that storyline. Once again, going back to a slow burner, but I, that's why I think I'm so excited for this third season because so many things are answered, including more about Bones and what he is doing at that creepy school. Now, one of the things last season we saw was the Dugan Whitmore family was kind of dealing with secrets, some serious tension at times as well. Do you feel like this season is the most happy and together that we've seen the family in the series so far? Yeah, when you when you talk about the the family, we call the Dugans and the Whitmores, which we actually call the Dugmores. We have a whole like in real life, we have a family group chat called Dugmores. I love that. Um, I do. I feel like from first season, a lot of people called Courtney bratty, which I understand why, because Pat is just the most lovable guy Mm -hmm. and she could be a brat to him. But, you know, I I love Courtney to death. So, of course, I'm going to be empathetic with her. She hadn't had a father figure in her life. And who was this man coming in trying to fulfill that? And she she was very closed off. But throughout the, the seasons, she's become more open and even accepting him as that father figure. So I do feel like from a family aspect, this is as tight knit as we see them. When it comes to the JSA family, I would say this might be the most separated we've seen them. Ooh, that's a good tease right there. We're going to have to figure out what's going on with that once the season starts. I don't know if you've noticed, Breck, but one of the things that's gotten some attention on social media, it's gaining, is Pat's beard. I, I, this is this is something that's really, really starting to catch on and take on a life of its own. So is this a sign maybe we could see some more changes from Pat this season? Does Sylvester hat coming back kind of change him a little bit as well? Yeah, I actually, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, he had the beard for another film he was supposed to be doing over the hiatus. And he reached out to Jeff, our showrunner. He's like, what do we think Pat with a beard? And just like, sure, okay, why not? Well, he ended up not doing the film, so he's like, I guess I have to shave again. And then we saw him with the beard, and we're like, no, 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 the beard stays. <laughs> but because of that, I do, like, they kind of made that a story point. Like, they talk about the new facial hair. Like, Starman gives him credit for his new manly facial hair. So, of course, he likes that, like, validation from from Sylvester, because who wouldn't? So I think it was a happy accident. <laughs> it's funny, too, because it almost feels like it's kind of drifting from the whole stripesy thing. And, you know, it's going from stripesy to stripesy sort of thing. So I, I think that that's a really cool thing that they decided to work it in. Yeah, me too. I, and it's so funny because, like, I filmed a whole season with Luke looking like that. And then I've gone back and watched a couple episodes of last season. I'm like, holy crap, this really changed his whole face. Like, it changed it's his good. presence. It's, it was wild. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, vacation beard pat. <laughs> nice. <Exactly>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. Now, just taking a look on social media, Breck, it looks like you were all just, just, you guys have a blast together. It seems like all the time. So how much do you really just enjoy working with everyone? And do you have any kind of favorite behind the scenes stories that you could tell us from filming season three? I have way too much fun. Like genuinely, we work really, really hard. So by the time like the seven months comes to a close, I think we're all ready for a small break, just like catch up on sleep. But after about a week, we're like, okay, let's get back. Where's my star family? Like, I want to start filming again. But third season, I thought it was a really cool reflection because obviously we're getting to know our characters better. We're becoming closer on screen and that reflects off screen as well. So this past season, I didn't know it could be more fun than it had been, and it was. This this past season exceeded my expectations. A fun little story I like to, to tell everyone because I think it just shows like the relationship of us in real life perfectly is with my girl Yvette, who plays Yolanda Montez or Wildcat. There was one day where I, I wasn't in a scene in the middle of the day. I was like, hey, let's go sneak up to the wardrobe room and steal the wildcat suit. She's like, absolutely. At this point, like when they give you a break, it could be anywhere from five minutes to five hours. And we were just, we're like, yeah, we'll ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's kind of like my go-to on set. (laughs) 
And we ended up going and stealing the wildcat suit. I put it on and I was just like strutting around the set and people were so confused. And then I posted on social media and people were like, this is a spoiler. Like you shouldn't tell us that you're in the wildcat suit. I'm like, guys, calm down. We're just being silly. It's not a spoiler. That was way too fun. And then Jeff, when he saw me in the suit, he was like, okay, I'm somehow going to figure, like figure out how to write this in the show because you look way too comfortable in that suit. <laughs> Certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, we got to see Steven Amell in the flash suit in, yeah. in the previous seasons of like Arrow and things like that. So, Hey, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that that would be very cool. I'd love to see that. That, that would yeah, be really, me too. Really it was awesome. also much more comfortable than my suit, surprisingly. Really? Um, I yeah, would think that the headgear alone would be a little like... You would think, but hers just have much more flexibility and stretch to it. And mine doesn't. Okay, mine is too tight. That's what it comes down to. It is too tight. Okay, I I, I get that. I understand that. <laughs> you, you talk about your team and, of course, the family and everybody like that. Other than Courtney's story, of course, whose story are you most intrigued by this season and which one are you really looking forward to fans seeing the most outside of Courtney? Hmm, great question. I would say we've talked about him a lot so far on this podcast, but I would have to go with Sylvester or, or Starman. I feel like... You know, he's been gone for for a few years. And so him coming back and not really know what's going on and not understanding the dynamics and kind of being the fish out of water, I think it's really interesting watching him navigate. Throughout the season, you kind of just learn more about everything and why why he came back to life and the cosmic staff and what the true powers are with the staff. So his storyline is really cool. I love that. I love that. Breck, before I let you go, I know how much you all love your fans. So kind of how disappointed were you guys to find out that you wouldn't be going to Comic-Con this year to spend that uh, opportunity with the fans? Uh, I don't want to talk. I was, I wasn't just disappointed. I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, come on. I actually, I reached out. I was like, can I please go to Comic-Con? Please. And they're <laughs> like, I'm go? like, okay, fine. I, you know, I always like to say the only stupid questions are the unasked ones. So. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And of course, DC's Stargirl is going to premiere on Wednesday, August 31st on the CW. You can catch up on the CW app too. I think HBO Max, you can watch Stargirl's first couple seasons as well. And just, you know, get yourself a nice memory refresher before the season three premiere and find out what she's got going on. Breck Basinger, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. It's super fun. See, that's the great thing about this season of DC Stargirl. There's so many angles at play here, not just with the villains, but with the family and what's going to happen with Starman coming back and the, and how is the team going to stay together and how are these things going to work all in harmony to create season three of DC Stargirl. There's, there's really so much going on here, probably more so than any other season so far. So how it's all going to shake out is going to be very, very interesting. We'll find out together on Wednesday. That's when DC Stargirl does premiere on the CW. I know I'll be watching. I'm sure that you're going to be watching as well. Again, thanks to Breck Bassinger who joined me this week to talk about DC's Stargirl. Up next, going to hit to the reviews and talk about House of the Dragon. My spoiler-filled review of that premiere is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Trey Romano from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. The struggle for the Iron Throne is back. House of the Dragon has now premiered on HBO Max, and since the premiere was not too long ago, like a week ago, I think it's safe to do some spoilers for this thing, right? So I'm not going to talk about the second episode. Don't worry about that. I will say this, though. Right after the episode aired, I go on social media. Of course, I made sure I watched it first. I was really surprised at how many people I saw 
saying they were trying to either trying to decide whether or not they wanted to watch it or they were trying to decide, you know, they were just like, oh, I'm going to watch this first and then I'm going to watch this. and I'll just avoid spoilers for a few days. And I'm thinking, A, I don't know if you're going to be able to avoid spoilers for that long. And B, it's it's very surprising to me that there were so many people and I don't want to quantify, give it a number. I didn't necessarily count all the tweets. I just thought this would be something that would be, you know, a kind of a no brainer sort of thing. And, and I guess it wasn't. I'm not going to dumb it down for you and go ahead and go into the whole plot or anything like that. I'm just going to kind of give you my reaction to the episode. If you already loved what they were doing with Game of Thrones, you're going to love this too. There's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. The struggle is there for the throne. You've got a very, very shaky King Viserys, as far as I'm concerned, on the on the throne as it is. You know, and the whole struggling to get an heir, that that's again a problem here for the Iron Throne and the House Targaryen. And, and you know, they're, they're really trying to keep the Targaryen name on the throne. We sort of know how that goes. But you, again, you got to keep in mind that this is the show tells you right in the beginning. This is 172 years before Daenerys. Calm down sort of thing. So it's like, don't be looking for any of that stuff. But we do get plenty of dragons. We do it, the whole Viserys thing. It's hard to let that go for me. First of all, Patty Constantine is fantastic as King Viserys. There's no doubt about that. And the tension between he and his brother, Prince Daemon Targaryen, who of course is played by Matt Smith, very, very much there. The way those two play off of each other, I think, is really, really good in that first episode. And and Daemon is a tyrant. There's no doubt about that. He's like the last dude. You want sitting on the Iron Throne or the first dude, depending on your perspective. But some of the stuff that he does and says in this episode is just low down. But there's also something weighing on him. And you see that. And I don't really want to. I mean, it's pretty obvious when he's sort of unable to, you know, rise to the occasion, as it were, that something's bothering him. And it's pretty clear that it has to do with the Iron Throne and being the successor. And then, you know, they kind of. Both of the Viserys and, and Prince Damon, you know, kind of let it air everything out. And you find out what the bad blood is between them. And, and Damon wonders why he's not more involved with his brother than he has been. And there's a reason he's been keeping him at arm's length. There's just there's you, you see that. But then you start to fast forward a little bit and see that, OK, well, if Viserys doesn't have an heir, then what's going to happen? Because Damon's got the support of the watch. I mean, he's got those guys just wrapped around his finger. And this army would probably overthrow Viserys in a second if Prince Damon snapped his fingers. And everybody's got dragons. So see, that's the thing that you can't look at is that everybody's got a dragon. You, you can't go by that. The one thing that was really just difficult to watch was, and this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to give, is when... The queen, I say the queen, she's the princess, you know, the the king's wife is giving birth and you find out, you know, it's kind of either her or the baby sort of thing. And when he chooses the baby, kind of doesn't tell her what's going on. And that whole sequence was just brutal. And it really, you want to be on, you want to be on Viserys' side, right? And I'm not here to get into the discussion about whether or not he made the right decision, because I think that that is a topic for another show entirely that is not this one. All I'm saying is, is that it's hard for him to be too likable when when that is something that goes down and for for some people. So that that was a tough one. That was a real that was the hardest scene that I've had to watch, maybe in a Thrones episode in a long time, if not ever. That was really, really tough for me to watch. And then the whole thing with, with Rhaenyra, who wasn't even there, by the way, when her mother dies and doesn't even know what goes happens until after the fact. And then you see how that goes with her being chosen as the heir because of what happened with Damon and everything like that. And, and we'll see how that goes in future episodes. I'm also watching the relationship between Rhaenyra and Alison Hightower. Alison, of course, the daughter of the Hand of the King, and they are very, very close. Now, how close are they? I'm not even sure they know yet. I think that there's there's definitely some vibes there. There's some chemistry there. Where that's going to lead, I don't know. But I really... Here's another thing that really bugged me. Otto Hightower is the Hand of the King, right? 
And he's basically poking and prodding the king this whole time, saying, you know, hey, you got to have an heir. You got to have an heir. You got to have an heir. You got to do this. Come on. Come on. I don't care if your wife and child just died. You really got to take care of this. Oh, this is a problem. That's a problem. And I get that that's part of what the job of the hand of the king is. But it's like, come on, dude. Give the guy a beat. His wife just died in one of the most tragic circumstances. And you're just throwing this in his face when it doesn't seem to be need, needing to be thrown in his face right now. And then he basically tells his daughter to go, hey, go check in on the king. Throw on one of your mom's dresses. So he couldn't wait to basically pimp out his daughter to the king. And that's something that, I mean, it's very common. You see that all the time in, in shows that are, that, are, that are dealing with things around this time period, right? Or based in this medieval times era, right? That's just something that's done. You know, if the king is free... Everybody's going to throw their daughter at the king, hoping that they can bear the next heir. I get it. But it's uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Especially in these in the circumstances that just went down. It's like, dude, really? That's what you're thinking about right now? And Allison clearly uncomfortable with this. Again, for probably a lot of reasons. So that was, a very, that was something that was very quick, though. Nothing actually happened between the two of them. But still, that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching because you don't want to... I, I definitely don't want to see that happen. I'm just going to put that out there right now. We don't get a ton of dragon stuff in this. We definitely get some. You get the, 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 the funeral, which was terrible, and Rhaenyra actually has to give the, you know, give the order to Dracarys to, to put the flame on her own mother's body, which has to be really, really tough. Now, how the relationship between Rhaenyra and Daemon is going to change in this upcoming set of episodes, I think is going to be really really interesting that's one to watch because clearly they've got this sort of you know older brother little sister thing even though you're talking uncle and niece they 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 have a different kind of relationship it seems like so how they're going to be with one another i think is something that's going to be very interesting obviously not everybody supports the idea of a queen on the Iron Throne, because no queen has ever sat on the Iron Throne. And we all, again, we know how that sort of works out later on down the line. So how does this set with her? And then you've got Graham McTavish's character and Sarah Harold Westerling. And again, very protective of Rhaenyra. So where does he factor into this maybe later on down the line in the episodes as well? So again, it's classic thrones. There's, there, there, there was definitely a lot of violence in that tournament. You know, that sort of went ugly really, really quickly. And there's certainly a rivalry brewing there between Houses Hightower and Targaryen already. So keep an eye on that. And there, it seems like there's some sort of something going on with Rhaenyra there as well that we need to keep our eye on. But, there, you know, there's, there's definitely there's dissension in the family. There's backstabbing that's already starting to happen. You have the, you know, very, very violent outburst at t- from time to time. It's Game of Thrones. House of the Dragon is Game of Thrones in the past. And you either love it for that or you're frustrated by it, by that. But that is exactly what it is. It is Thrones, not necessarily at its finest yet, because I think it's still got a little ways to go. This episode didn't necessarily grab me and say, yes. This is exactly what I was looking for because I don't know that I know what I was looking for out of this. But so far, I'm not turned off by it, but I'm not supercharged to watch it every single week just yet. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I'm just saying that it's there's intrigue there, but I'm not 100% sold yet. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of House of the Dragon, the premiere episode. Of course, you can watch every Sunday on HBO Max. Up next, Elise Willis is going to be talking to me all about Echoes. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey everyone, this is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You want to talk about a wild, thrilling binge? Let me tell you, Echoes on Netflix is what you're looking for. It's now streaming and oh, the tangled webs that are weaved in this show. And she is definitely a part of that. She plays Meg on the series. It's Elise Willis. Elise, how you doing? I am so wonderful. Wow. I'm just so happy. So happy today. I would be too if I was a part of something (laughs) like this. I got to tell you, it's such a wild show. There's so many twists and turns. And every time I think I got it figured out, it twists a different way. So as you kind of started diving into the scripts for the show, not even just your part, what was your first impression of this crazy thing? 
Ah, wow. I was just so enthralled to be a part of it. I love shows that like give you a twist and your predictions are wrong, right? And so when I read Echoes, I was reading it and I was on the edge of my seat. Like I was turning the pages, trying to read as fast as I can to to see what happens next. And so that's always a good sign when you're reading a script and you're just so deeply involved in it. It's like, okay, that's a good one. See, as I was, I just got to watch it a little bit early and as I'm watching it, it was one of those where I was going, okay, one more. Okay, one more. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. And, and I don't do that all the time. And exactly. sometimes it's one of those things like, I really don't have time to do, oh, okay, one more. So that's what I was doing. So I feel you on that. Listen, right before I got on with you, I just watched the first episode and literally like two minutes before we jumped on this call, I finished the episode and I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, so you're jonesing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I love am. It. I am. I'm like, I like to watch it as a viewer, you know, right. and I am like the first episode, I, it's I'm, I'm excited. I'm just like, I'm, I can't wait to finish it. I'm going to try to binge it before. I'm having a little watch party for like friends and family Ooh. later. And so I'm going to try to binge it before the watch party. I don't know. We'll see. Nice, nice. Very cool. We actually don't get to see Megan the first episode, though. We get to see her just a little bit later after that. And she's definitely leaves an impression on the story, though. So how would you describe her? Wow, I love Meg. Meg is going through a lot. Like when we meet Meg, there's obviously tension between her and Lenny and Gina has no idea what's going on, why there's the tension because they're best friends. And then as the story unfolds, we start to see why there is the drama between the two. And Meg has a lot of things going, a lot of layers going on that she's kind of like keeping to herself. And there comes a point where she has to let it out. And she she kind of like busts out Lenny and herself. Like she lays it all on the table. And yeah, there's there's repercussions from it, but she's in a position where she has to. And I can't say that I blame her. This is me not saying anything right now. <laughs> yeah. Not saying a word. Just say just say that and that should tell you all you need to know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Moynihan is so fantastic in this show as both Lenny and Gina. I mean, what was it like working with her and just seeing her playing these crazy dueling roles? Oh my gosh. Working with her was such a treat. I had no idea that she was, I mean, obviously she's an amazing actress, but the way that she walks into the set, like she commands she has this power that she brings with her on set and it's inspiring like i was like a little student watching her and then the way she bounces between the two characters mm -hmm. she was saying that she was worried about being able to you know handle this project and i just watched this first episode and i'm like this woman is amazing and i knew that acting with her but to like see it all on the screen she is incredible. So I actually felt like she was playing four characters. If I'm being honest, I felt like it was more like four rather than two. And once people watch it, you'll you get it because you were there. But like that's how I felt about it. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. She brings so much to these roles, and I think that she's proud. I mean, if she's not, I mean, just by watching the first episode, I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. The woman is the woman is incredible. She, she is should be proud for incredible. sure. And so should everybody else that's involved in this show. No doubt about that. Yeah. You mentioned that Meg very close to Lenny, but not so much Gina, which I think is interesting, too. So what would you say her impressions are or opinions, I should say, maybe of both sisters and their relationship? Well, Gina has a history in the town to be the wild child. And I think that kind of plays into the relationship with Meg. Like Lenny is the one who is a little bit more personable, a little bit open and loving with everyone. And Gina is kind of the one that's a little bit more closed off and had like the troubled past. But I think that we'll see a switch in the series where you think that maybe Lenny is one way and it's actually Gina that way. There's a like a little flip-flop going on that a lot of the, their friends and family, they don't even know that they're like swapping lives like this. So it's like, does she really know Lenny the way that she thinks she does? Or does she really know Gina? 
That's how I was feeling. I don't. I can only imagine how you were feeling, as Meg. That's how I was feeling. I was like, "Do I even know? I I don't know." Exactly. Exactly. Even when I was filming it, I had all of these questions arise. Like, wow. Like, is this really Lenny? Is this really Gina? Like, even as the viewer watching it for you guys, there's a lot of unanswered questions that even the the characters in the story have. Well, I'm glad that you were there because I was certainly there. So now I don't, I don't feel so bad about being there myself. too. Yeah. If you were there, then that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Talking to Elise Willis, who, of course, plays Meg on Echoes on Netflix, which is streaming right now. And OK, Elise, this is where we get into the no spoilers territory where I have to say no spoilers. So let's okay. try to do what we can here. So okay. there's a lot of secrets on this show. You definitely have a big part in that. So when I say the name Dylan James, what do you say? My cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. I'm spoiling it, my cousin. <laughs> she's not lying. I'm not lying. In case anybody's wondering, she's not, she's not lying. That That nope. is the truth. That is the truth for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it runs much deeper than that. There's no There's no question about it. But I'm not going to get her in trouble, so we're not going to say yeah, anything. Yeah, you guys have to watch to see. You guys got to watch it to see. Well, let's keep the no-spoiler no train moving then. So your character drops a pretty big bombshell at one point. Yes. In this season. And I mean, you want to talk about Mike drop, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a big deal. So what did you think of the twist? And did you see it coming? I did not see it coming at all. And honestly, that was one of my favorite scenes to film because I kind of had it in my in my head like it's going one direction and it went the complete opposite direction. But like I said, it needed to happen. Like I understand why Meg had to do it in that moment in the way that she did. And I just feel like I don't I don't blame her at all. I'm going to be totally honest with you. That was the moment in the show okay, where I threw my hands up and said, I, I don't, I have no idea what's going on here anymore. Like, <laughs> really? I, I did not see that coming at all. And then once that happened, I was like, so we're going to, okay. So there we're adding this to this, this, and this and seven other things. And like, I did not see this in yeah. any way, shape or form. And I, and what I did is I actually went back and watched mm -hmm. the scene again to look at everyone else's reaction around it. Yeah. And I was like, this, this was, that was perfect. It was one of those scenes that I will definitely remember from this, from this season for sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. So you know, flex. I don't even think Meg, Meg didn't even expect to say that. And Clearly that not. Moment, yeah. Right. It just kind of like happened. And I think that in life we have these moments where, you know, like you have a plan for how you're going to do something and it goes the complete opposite way. And that's just, that's just life. That yeah, that is very much just life. But in that setting, that's a, that was a baller move. In that setting too, you'll understand once you watch the show. If you're hearing this, you go, "What's yeah. he talking about?" When you watch it, you'll understand. In yes. that setting, that is a that was a boss move too. That I mean, was, to be that honest, was I don't even think I could have done that as Elise. Like, yeah, that that takes guts and big kahunas because it's like, wow, Meg, you really you did a number there. You did a number, yeah. Very, very shocking. Well, and very well done on your part, too, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, so I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about Ruthless for a second because you've been a part of that show, a big part of it for three seasons now. BET Plus, excuse me. Lacey's living that cult life, of course. So <laughs> we know we got, the, we, got the, we got the season returning here pretty soon. So give us a little bit of a tease. What can we expect for, for anybody that loves the show? What's, what can we expect from Lacey when the show comes back? Wow. Well, Lacey is, I love Lacey. She is one of the members in the cult who she is not going to lay down. Like she has it in her mind that she has to escape. She has to get out of there. And she is not going to let anything or anyone get in her way. The back half of the third season, it's full of drama. It's full of suspense. It's one thing after the other. And Lacey is, I think Lacey is going to pull some things out of her hat that is going to have the viewers like, what are you doing? She's definitely going to flip the table and cause an uproar to get out of that compound. And if anybody knows about anything about cults, when they have tables, they're pretty big. So if she's going to flip that table over, <laughs> then that's, 
I mean, that's that's a that's a power move right there. If you can flip a, a if you can flip a cult table over, that's that's a big table. Yeah. So, well, she also, you know, it's it's kind of like the same with Echoes, where you know her back is against the wall and. Mm -hmm whatever she has to do to get out of there. It's also a lot of twists and turns. You're going to be surprised at the end of the season three. When it comes to Lacey, I think that there's also a lot of just twists and turns that is not expected. Well, I know fans have been looking for her to get out for a while now, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we get to see that big moment here coming up at some point. <laughs> at least before I let you go, I heard you've been working on your kickboxing skills, so when I hear something like that, you know, my my... Radar goes up, so I got to find out, you know, does this kind of mean that we're going to see you in like a superhero comic book adaptation at some point? Or is there maybe one that you'd love to be a part of? What do you think? I mean, that's the plan. That's the goal. Like, I always try to prepare for what's to come. And one of my dream roles is to play a superhero. I mean, I love to, I can see myself in like a Marvel film or even DC. So yeah, I'm, I'm preparing for what's to come, baby. All I'm saying is, is that Marvel's going to be looking for a lot of X-Men characters. Listen. And there's quite a few <laughs> that, you know. I do my own stunts. I do my own stunts. There you go. See, what she's trying to say is she can save you money because she can do it herself. And you won't have to, not, not that we don't love our stunt people because we absolutely do and they do we a fantastic love them. job. But yes, you know, yes. if you can do it yourself, rock on. Absolutely. Why do not? Absolutely. We're going to keep our eyes open for that and keep those positive vibes going. But until then, let's make sure you're watching Echoes, which is streaming right now on Netflix. Set aside some time. You're going to need it because you're not going to want to stop. And then, of course, you've also got Ruthless coming back to BET Plus here really, really soon. And hopefully Lacey gets the hell out of there. And get, her, get this woman some freedom. It's Elise Willis. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Oh my it. God. Thank you so much for having me. This was lots of fun. And let me tell you, Meg's one of those characters on Echoes. It's like, you don't see her often, but when you do see her, she makes an impact and definitely has a footprint on the story for sure. And I don't want to spoil anything just in case you haven't had a chance to try the show out yet. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't know. Should I watch this? Should I not watch this show for so, so many reasons? There's some great twists and some great performances. I think you're really going to love Echoes now streaming on Netflix. Give it a shot. You will not be sorry that you did. Again, thanks to Elise Willis for joining me to talk about Echoes and of course, Ruthless as well. We don't want to forget that on BET+. Up next, another great show that hopefully you're not missing out on is Five Days at Memorial on Apple TV Plus as we head towards that finale. Got a couple more members of the cast joining me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Emily Andrews. I'm the showrunner and executive producer of Wine on Earth TV series, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. There's just a couple of episodes left of the limited series Five Days at Memorial on Apple TV Plus, and you might have heard my interviews a couple weeks ago with the, some of the members of the cast. I wanted to get back to that, though, as we learn more and more about some other members of the cast, including Adepero Oduye, who, of course, I got a chance to talk to a few weeks ago, who plays Karen Wynn, and especially with ethics being a big part of this story and her character being the head of the ethics committee. I couldn't wait to talk to her about that and so much more. Adepero, how you doing? How you doing? Doing very, very well, thank you. And it's nice to see you smiling because there's not a lot of that going on in five days at Memorial. I mean, yeah. Karen's already in one of the most stressful parts of the hospital anyway. How do you prepare to take on a role like this? Yeah, I mean, first thing is I read the book in which the series is uh, based off of. There's a wealth of information about the history of New Orleans and the hospital in the city and the people that are involved and, and the relationships that are pertinent there. So that was a great wealth of information. And also being able to talk to Sherry Fink. Oh, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. She had to be a wealth of information there. Karen oh, yeah. was actually the head of the ethics committee at mm. Memorial during the time of this. And given what happens with some of the patients that were in the hospital, how much can you tell us about her state of mind in some of those more dire moments and how there's kind of maybe a little bit of a gray area for her there? Yeah, I think it's I think, you know, when you are talking about ethics, you're talking about you're talking about ethics as it pertains to theory and preparation. And so it's very easy to talk, talk in a very theoretical way about ethical situations, but it's not the same thing as being faced with a disaster, a dilemma, and a complex dilemma at that where things just keep piling on top of, and, you're, and there's no, you, you don't even, you, you, he didn't even have the foresight to think about those things, you know, the combination of things. And so, and you're human and you're needing to sleep and you need to eat and 
it's just ethics is not the same thing as real life. And so then you're just tasked with doing your job moment to moment and trying to make do with what you have and deal with things as they come. That is such a wonderful way to put it. Of course, we're based on a true story here with this story. So we know that there was a hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, and then the aftermath. So talk about what it was like in that in those moments, even even shooting this, to go from the joy of thinking the worst was over to mm. finding out that that was very much not the case. Yeah, I mean, you you realize that you're there to prepare for hurricane in which you are, you know, you're aptly you're apt, you know, at um at doing, and then. It's literally one thing after the other. And when it gets to the point where the power goes out and patients need power, you need that to take care of people, then, then it becomes a whole other thing. And then you really are having to make on-the-fly decisions and, and do your best. It almost, it just seems unimaginable, the set of circumstances that we're, we're having to be dealt with at the time. No question about that. As a matter of fact, let's let's expand on that just a little bit because how did taking this role and actually being a part of this series change your perspective about what happened during Hurricane Katrina and the aftermath of that? I just learned more, unfortunately, the levels in which a system can fail its people. Things are not necessarily shocking, but I learned more just the, the, the ways in which people can kind of be abandoned and how systems can break down on multiple levels, like federal, corporates, local, and how people, yeah, how people can just be left to fend for themselves. And so unfortunately, that's one thing that I, I learned. I got real, a real sense of as it pertains to Hurricane Katrina. Really quickly out of power, what was the most difficult episode for you to shoot? Oh boy, probably episode five, where things kind of get pretty dire. Adapero, thank you so much for taking the thank time today. You. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. And that is the episode that actually just premiered today on Apple TV Plus 2, by the way. So that might be a good time to check that out. But I also got a chance to talk to Cornelius Smith Jr., who plays Dr. Bryant King on the show. And if you've been watching the show, you know how frustrating things have been for Dr. Bryant King. So let's talk to him about that and a lot more as well. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Cornelius. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, your character is one of the newer doctors at Memorial on the series. Do you feel like they kind of gave him a different perspective on the situation? Or does caring for patients matter regardless of the situation for him? I mean, being new anywhere, I think, definitely changes one's perspective because, you know, you're new. You, you don't know. You're trying to get acclimated. And so there's a sense of in particular to being new at Memorial of just, it's a hospital. There's so many different layers and so many different politics inside a hospital that one has to kind of, to know, to even kind of navigate. And I think that makes my character's journey really unique in that he's navigating everything else that's going on, you know, the hurricane, but also just being in a new environment with new people. Absolutely. Now I feel like in the early episodes, we see a lot of frustration coming from Dr. King. What do you feel like it was that frustrated him the most? And did you feel that frustration as you were going as well for him? I think when you are in a new place and you kind of get a sense of, of just what's going on and maybe some of the perspectives that people have and how that affects policy and how that affects how we go about doing things, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> Because you you know you're you're new and you can't really do anything about it, and so you you kind of have to just observe and really find a way to I don't want to say fit in, but to find a way to to move through and navigate these things, even though you may not agree with what you're seeing, and you may not even understand it because you are new. There is that component too. Kind of hard to find your groove when there's wind everywhere and water rising and all that stuff. So that just that a little bit. I mean. That's yeah. that's real. No doubt about that. One of the interesting things about this series, I think, Cornelius, is the interview portion as well that kind of talks about the aftermath. How important are those scenes to the overall story, would you say? I think they're very important because we get more of the story. We don't get actually just what happened, but we, we, we get a sliver of of what happened afterwards and, and where people have moved on and how people have not moved on, where people are at after that significant kind of event, I think is important to really just give you a full picture and a full context of, of what happened and 
moreover, like the effects that it takes on people. I think we're we're not only interested in what people go through, but we're also we're even more interested in how it affects them, and we want to see that really in every story that that we that we look at. Absolutely, Cornelius. Before I let you go, what was it like working with John Ridley and Carlton Cuse on this series, and how do you feel like they helped bring authenticity to the story? Just watch the story, and you'll see the authenticity there. I believe, but both—I mean—they're both legendary in their own right. It was great. I was really curious on set, and they were very gracious to allow me to really to come and go as I pleased. I, I shadowed Carlton, I shadowed John on set while they were directing, and they were really open and gracious to just let me pick their brains and just watch, just watch them go to work. It's it's a really beautiful thing, and you know the the crew there and how everybody kind of came together and and did that, and just their communication with them. I mean, this production had pros across the board, and I was just really lucky to be a part of it. Cornelia Smith Jr., thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Take care. And if you've been watching Five Days at Memorial on Apple TV+, Plus, you know how intense it's gotten, and you know that it's only going to get more intense from here on out as well. Things are getting dire, especially in this upcoming fifth episode, which you can stream right now on Apple TV+. Plus. We have eight episodes in this season of this limited series. So we've still got a few more to go for five days at Memorial on Apple TV+. Again, thanks to Adapero and Cornelius for both joining me to talk about their characters on five days at Memorial. That's actually going to do for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Of course, you know, I'm on vacation, so no nerd news this week. I don't want to give you stuff that's old news or anything like that. So nerd news will be back next week. Make sure you're following on social media, though, at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. You never know what could be popping up on there as well. So I might have some little news. If something really big breaks, might be throwing it up on there as well at some point. Also, make sure you go online at downandnerdypodcast.com and be sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.